If you're wanting to amp up your motivation or learn some of the most powerful mindset tools and info when it comes to getting the most out of your own mindset, then I'm running a free five-day motivation reboot challenge. It's only one hour per day over five days and is absolutely free and exclusive to my community. So if you're wanting to get more motivated or learn how to get the best out of yourself and your mindset, then register for my free upcoming Motivation Reboot Challenge. The free link is on the Michael Mojo Facebook page. I've also dropped an extra bonus on my Facebook page for all those who are wanting to get the most out of their mindset. I look forward to seeing you in the free challenge. No one really gets it right. It's just that there's a consistency of like stacking results. So do people that achieve at a high level make a lot of dumb decisions? And the answer is yes. How do they deal with those dumb decisions? They normally just keep going and they make the decision right. This podcast, The Underestimated Entrepreneur, is for the driven mofos out there who are driven to achieve more in life and business. After studying 1,457 of the world's most successful people in different fields and spending over $1 million on coaches, consultants, and seminars, I wanted to share with you the key learnings, lessons, tips, tools, and strategies that have not only made them super successful, but have also allowed me to go from the kid who was put into special classes, getting kicked out of school and wanting to end my life, to becoming the mental performance coach to some of the country's most successful people and helping me to grow multiple businesses. I want to help all of those out there who have been underestimated to prove their doubt is wrong and to help them to achieve more than they could possibly imagine. I hope you enjoy. Driven mofos, I'm going to share with you a special episode of the One Talk podcast today with host Ryan McCarthy. So recently I was on his podcast. He asked me a whole host of questions in regard to success, achieving more, my life, self-sabotage patterns, procrastination, destructive behavior. We went down the rabbit hole. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to part three of this four-part series. Remember to share this episode if you enjoy it. Welcome back, Michael. How are you, man? Good, mate. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's um, it's epic to have you back on the One Talk and to share your message, share your value because, yeah, ever since last episode, there's so much that has come from both of our communities and it's good to be able to create this connection again. No, mate, it's awesome to be here and, um, it, you know, it's awesome to be part of this as well. Um, I know you mentioned that there was a lot of questions that people had and, um, yeah, good feedback. Um, yeah, so I'm just stoked that uh, your community embraced the conversations that we had and and some of the ideas that I raised as well. Um, yeah, I guess something that I like is I like challenging the way that things work, like either things work or they don't work. And there's a lot of things in the mental health space and the mindset space that sound good and everyone gets behind, but they don't necessarily work. And when you look at the results and the data and the outcome, you know, they're, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're, there's, there's not the same correlation that you'd want if you were really trying to achieve great things in your own life or, with loved ones anyway. Mm, that is so true. And I relate with that a lot, especially the way people connect and reach out to me and they say certain things. And I may not particularly have the same agreement on it at first, but then able to see different perspectives and try and understand more of what that perspective is and just try and understand the basis of them more. So yeah, it's a really cool um, field to be in, especially working. Oh, awesome, mate. The um, first question I want to get into because I see this question come up a lot and not just on my podcast, but just as a general in life as well. Someone did ask this, but the question is, how can I identify my purpose? And I feel like this is a big question that a lot of people in today's world are trying to figure out. And I'd love to hear your perspective and answer on this. Awesome. I'm actually just about to launch an online training on this because we get the same question probably six, seven times a week on average. Um, so it's, I think it's pretty common. But look, the it's not that you've got to find your purpose. It's just, you've got to clear away all the shit that's not your purpose. Mm. So I have different beliefs around most of the coaching and personal development industry or the psychology industry. Um, I think most people are trying to find something because they don't realize that they are already the thing. And what I mean by that is like, I really believe that everybody's successful because if you watch a young child, a young child is highly adaptable. They're resilient. They figure stuff out. They are really open and willing to learn, but they like to learn certain things. Not every child likes to learn the same thing. But then we go to school and we get told what we have to learn. So I get put in a mathematics class. I don't like maths. It's not my thing. I wanted to learn how to build engines and I wanted to figure out how things work and I wanted to go learn geography and biology and I wanted to go play sport. But I got told I have to sit in a classroom and learn mathematics. 
so when I do that, I get a report card. The report card comes back. My mum looks at it or my parents look at it. They go, why are you doing bad in school? And so they start projecting their values onto me because my mum has a high value on learning. Now, um, that's probably because my mum was 17 when she had me and she got she had to pull out of school. Um, my dad, not so much. He dropped out of school when he was a, a teenager. So based on my mum's insecurities, she then projects them onto me because the thing that she never got to do was to go to university. Yet all her brothers and sisters did. So that creates a void and an insecurity in her own life. So now she has a child and she thinks, in order to give my child the best in life, the best thing that can happen is that he gets a good education and goes to university. But that wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. And instead of looking at the child and saying, how do we help them to be the best that they can be based on the values that they have? Most parents try to deal with their own insecurities by projecting what they think is best onto the child. Now that's because they care about the child, right? So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think every, every parent is trying to figure it out and no parent really knows how to parent, right? Um, because every child's different um, throughout different stage of, of the child's life, it adapts and changes. Um, my parents are still trying to figure out how to deal with me. Um, and I, you know, and I'm, I turned 40 this year. So, you know, every parent's trying to do their best in some way, shape or form. It's just, no one really knows what that looks like. So over time, we get all these projections of school teachers saying, you need to do this. You've got to do that. You, you raise your hand, you say, can I go to the bathroom? They say, no, you need to sit still. And so over time, you start to confuse your own value, your own purpose in life, your own mission. And so then it becomes really confusing. A young child knows what it likes. Like my nephew, you say, don't go outside. It's raining. Two seconds later, he's outside playing. Why? Because that's what he wants to do. Now, I'm not saying that that's the right thing. It's just that that's, he just does what is what he loves. Now, he can sit down and play with my niece. So my niece loves coloring in and drawing, and she's very artistic. So she goes and clo uh, changes her clothes five or six times You know, while we're there for a couple of hours. So she's very self-expressive, whereas my nephew, Jordan, is completely the opposite. He sits down, starts coloring in, and two minutes later, he's either starting a fight with his sister or he's outside playing or he's building something. So he's already expressing his values, but once again, parents come along, they say, you know, I need to sit down and do this because, you know, I'm on a phone call or I'm doing something. So then the child starts to adapt its behaviors and it needs to do that as well because children are very impulsive and it needs to learn how to govern its impulses because as adults, we can't just do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, because that leads to an erratic human being. Mm -hmm. So that's what starts to happen. But over time, the child loses itself. And most people who come come to our events or, um, you know, they they message me or, or they're part of our community, they'll say something like, how do I understand my values? How do I find my values? How do I understand my life purpose? I'm not sure on what my mission is. I get that. But that's everybody. Almost every human being doesn't know what their mission, purpose and values are very clearly. Now, some do, but most people don't. And when we're talking about values, we're not talking about kindness and honor and respect. They're social idealisms. That's not 100% correct. Um, they're based on a field of study called axiology. They're physical, tangible things that we're trying to achieve in life. Um, and so that's what we value. Our values are directly related to what we value. Now, everybody on the planet values kindness. But the question is, what does that mean? So is, is looking after your health and fitness, is that valuable? Now, some people say yes. Other people go, oh, I don't give a shit about that. Some people say education is important. Other people go, I don't care about education. It's not important to me. So they're the physical, tangible values. Some people say family is important. Other people say, I don't really care about my family. So we have, there's this polarity in society of different value systems that make up an economy. And the reason why you and I, even though we're in similar industries, do different things and, and we're different in the way we approach it is because our values are slightly different. They're similar, but different. Now, if you've ever been to Thailand, you would have heard the uh, the uh, the quote, same, same, but different. Yeah. You know, most people in society um, or everybody in society has a different structure of values. They might be similar, but they're not the same. My mentors do what I do, right? But they they do it in a different way. So I have my lane and they have their lane. The faster I realize that, or the, the sooner I realize that, the more I was able to live what I want. So when it comes back to purpose in answer to your question, 
it's not that you don't know what your life purpose is. It's that you know it's just clouded by everyone else's judgments, opinions, criticisms, beliefs, ideals, ideas. And so you're looking going, shit, I want to do this, but is mom and dad going to be upset? I want to do this. What are my friends going to say? If I leave my job, what are my colleagues going to say? What happens if I fail? So it's all of that that stops you from understanding your purpose. It's already in there. So you don't you don't have to you don't you don't have to um almost find it because it's there. It's just you've got to clear away all the other shit, which comes down to what Sigmund Freud, the famous psychiatrist, uh, spoke about as implanted values. Okay, and he called that the super ego. Um, but yeah, it's all the other implanted values and ideas. You know, when a human goes to make a decision and someone else pops into their head, it's not their decision, it's somebody else's decision. That's an implanted value. It may be a parent, it may be a teacher, it may be, you know, it may be a religion, it may be society, it may be friends. So in order to find your purpose, the first thing that you've really got to do is get really clear with your values because your highest value almost helps you to determine what your purpose is. So my highest value is teaching, learning, and coaching. And then my second highest value is I call it high value connection, but they're essentially people who I can learn from, who display leadership qualities, or who I can teach, coach, and lead. So I love being around people who want to learn. I love being around people that I can learn from because the higher value dictates my second highest value. So if I don't feel like I can learn, teach, and coach from somebody, or they're doing the same to me, the second highest value isn't really fulfilling. I can be around people, but for a short period of time, I get bored. Yeah. Okay? And then, you know, my third highest value is business and wealth creation. So I build a business on learning, teaching, and coaching, connecting with leaders and people that want to achieve more and people that want to learn and grow. Or I, I have all these amazing connections who are high-level leaders like rich listers, professional athletes. A lot of them are my friends. You know, in the last podcast, I spoke about having a phone where, you know, on my phone, I've got private access to almost probably a couple of billion dollars worth of people um, that I can call any time of the day. So I go and learn from those people. And then I go and share that through my courses and my seminars and through coaching like this. So your values essentially dictate where you end up in life. Um, but they also they also help you to understand what you, what fulfills you within your own life as well. So doing stuff like this to me is not a chore. It's just, I love to do it. But if I had to do data entry or I had to look at finances for three to four hours in a day, I'm out. Okay, so... Your highest values determine your purpose. My purpose in life is to help people perform better. That's my life purpose. And that's what I think about all the time. If I watch a movie, I'm thinking, right, normally when I watch movies, they're based on true stories. Those true stories are normally, I'm looking at how are they thinking? How, they, how do they overcome obstacles? How do they overcome challenges? What are their values they're demonstrating? I wonder what their mission is. How do they interact with people? And so pretty much everything I do in life relates back to that. And it's not that I'm trying to do it. It's just that it's already there. It's just, that's what I love to do. Mm. Does that sort of make sense? So it's not about, it's not yeah. about discovering your purpose. It's about clearing away the shit so that you can see it. Cause it's already there. You think about it all the time, your values, you demonstrate all the time. Like I can tell you're, you're, you've got a high value on connecting with people that you can learn from. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So if you had time, you'd probably fill your time up with that. That's not because it's a value that you want. It's just the value that is. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, everyone is successful. And I like personally, I knew from a young age, like I love learning, I love educating, but through school, I didn't do great. I ended up getting kicked out because I feel like it was somewhat my value, but I wasn't connected to it in a way that I felt like was serving me. It was more forced beliefs of other people. And that's why what you said about other people's beliefs and other people's values get pushed onto you and kind of push you away from your own values that you already have. And that just shows the power of the influence around you and the environments that you're in, because it can push you off your path and make you feel like you have no purpose. But in reality, everyone's successful. It's just pushing all that aside to truly identify what it is. And with identifying the values within ourselves, what's some like actionable items we can take from this step forward to start identifying our own values? Look at what your life demonstrates. So I actually just got asked, uh, we're working with a, a new marketing agency because um, we're, we're starting to expand globally now. And um, one of the things that they asked was like, what's the most common thing that people ask? And it's about their values. And they said, what makes yours different from the other values tested on the, on the market? Well, first of all, most people when they're taught about values are taught incorrectly. 
And it's incorrectly because they haven't studied the field of value studies. What they've studied is they've studied social sciences, which then use a label of values. So they come up with terms like kindness and happiness and respect. But what does that mean? So if you look out in our society and you see an obese parent and they've got obese kids and they're at McDonald's and you have a high value on health, you will see them as being completely disrespectful and immoral with their kids. Mm. Now, that's not saying that the, that parent is trying to be disrespectful. It's just that they don't have a high value on health. That's all that it is. And my good friend and mentor um, and, and you know someone I speak to quite regularly is uh, Dr. John D. Martini. And like he said, for every person on the planet who has a high value on something, somebody else has a low value on something. You know, there are people out there who have zero value on money. And so you'll see them, you'll see them around the place. When we run events and seminars, like let's say one of my events is $5,000. Most people who come to that event would have some sort of a value on money or wealth creation and maybe their top five to seven values. It might not drive their whole entire life, but it's there because they're paying five grand to come to an event. Now, Sometimes people put up their hand, they go, yeah, but I don't have a high value of money. I work because I have to work. And I go, you don't have to work. And they go, yeah, you do. And I say, no, you don't. And they go, yeah, but I've got to support my family. And I go, no, you love to support your family financially, which is why you work. That's part of your value structure. And they, they argue with me because they feel like it's a burden that they have to go to work every day when the truth is they don't have to go to work. There are people that wake up today, open the fridge up, eat last night's pizza, smoke a bong, and then watch TV all day. And the government pays them to do that. And you say that to them, they go, yeah, but I, I don't want to live that lifestyle. And I go, I know because money's important to you. But most people just don't get it because we've been indoctrinated into a way of thinking. And that way of thinking is that we should be doing shit that, that is outside of our values. You've probably heard of the term hard work. Yeah. Only recently I've stopped using that term. Um, because you know, my wife would come to me and would sit down and she'd go, oh, how's your week been? I go, oh, fuck, it's been pretty hard. But why does it have to be hard? It's just, I've been indoctrinated with a way of communicating, which is that work has to be hard and my work's not hard. I enjoy what I do. That doesn't make it hard. It's I, I work a lot. I put a lot of energy and effort into it, but it doesn't have to be hard. I make it hard by the languaging that I use. Mm. So coming back to values, most people's values are right in front of them but they just don't see it. Like you ask a parent who loves their kids and they go, I have to look after my kids. I have to support my kids. That's only because your values dictate that. There are parents who, who, who are more than happy to give away their children. There are parents out there or people who have kids who kill their kids and throw them in dumpsters. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, but it's just because they have zero value on that child's life. Whereas a parent who is like, I have to look after my kids. It's not that they have to look after them. It's just that they, um, it's just that they choose to look after them because it's within their value structure. Mm. So our values are right in front of us. It's just that we think that things are supposed to be hard. So instead of just doing the things that are important to us, most people step outside of their values, try to live implanted values, make their life really hard and complicated. Then they keep getting stressed out, burnt out, frustrated, depressed, anxious, all of this feedback that's telling them you're off your fucking path, get back onto it. And then they try to go back to it and they go, I really love doing this stuff, but then it should be hard. It should be complex. I should, you know, because they're watching most people in society, most people off track. Mm. So when it comes to values, if you look at what your life consistently demonstrates, it will tell you your values. And that's why when I, when I do values and I'm probably one of the best in the world at doing this, because we, we have a lot of people who come to our events who've done all these different personal development events and still struggle with their values. What I normally do is I get them to write down what a standard week looks like and then tell me what that standard, what the relationship is between the stuff that you're doing and your values, right? So if you exercise consistently and you're, you're consistently moving like I do, that's for me, that's physical performance. So I, I love exercise. I love training. I love moving. I go for a walk most days. Um, I have to move consistently. Real quick, Driven Mofos, you know I don't run any advertising or sell anyone else's shit on this podcast. So the only thing that I'll ever ask from you is that you help me get this podcast out to more people and spread the word by rating and reviewing this podcast. I promise it will only take 10 seconds. So please rate and review if you haven't already done so. And thank you in advance. So what I was saying was that essentially your, um, your life demonstrates your values. So if you just look at your life, it will show you what you value. 
And instead of saying, like a lot of people say things like, I have a high value on money and wealth because I think about it all the time. And there are values tests out there that ask a good question. What do you think about consistently? Well, if you're broke, you're going to be thinking about money. If your health is shit, you're going to be thinking about your health. If your family is in chaos, you're going to think about your family. But that's only because you're dropping into a primitive survival response. That's not the thing that truly fulfills you in life. It's just that you're just trying to you're trying to stay alive, essentially, right? At, at the at the brainstem level, right? It's survival. So, you know, when when a person says family is my highest value, yet they spend 50 hours a week working, family is 100% not their highest value. Their career or work or money or wealth creation or whatever it is, is their highest value. But what most people think is if I don't put family as number one, then it means that I don't care about them. And it's not that they don't care about them. It's just that for that individual, they feel like if they work really hard and get ahead financially, that's the best thing that they can do for their family. So this is where most people get confused with values. But if you look at what your life demonstrates, your life demonstrates your values, especially if you're consistent with it. If you're someone who works consistently and you have done for a long, long time, then probably career, money, finances, or something like that is important to you. If you consistently study and learn, then learning and study is probably important to you. But if you're someone who says learning is important to me, yet you never learn, but you go, oh, I've had a book next to my bed for ages and I think about reading it, then your life doesn't really demonstrate it. If you're always hanging out with friends or socializing, then social connection is important to you. Okay, so your life demonstrates that. Mm. That's yeah. key because, yeah, it's so important to be able to mix a lot of that out the way. And I think people listening here have now that action arm to take away to start identifying their values because it's important. And one last question I've got around the value system. This is personally from the back end of what you're saying. In a relationship dynamic, do you think it's important to have two people that have relatable values or different values? Like, what do you think that is for relationships? Uh, same, same, but different. Okay, yeah. it's that. Uh, I that's I love that quote from Thailand, right? I love I love when I travel when I've traveled through Thailand before, and and you know they go, it's the same, same, but different. Um, and so it's just it's etched in my mind. So in an intimate relationship, you need to have similars and differences. Right, We've had people who've come to my events, done their values, gone home, spoken to their girlfriend, and their girlfriend goes, I'm leaving because we have different values. Do you know how narcissistic you have to be to think that you're so fucking great that your partner should demonstrate the exact same values of you because your values are so amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's that's someone who has who, who has no real understanding of human interaction, human connection. If you think about it, like if I ask most people, do you like yourself on average, right? And we don't sugarcoat it. Most people go, oh, sort of, like it depends on the day. Imagine you living and dating yourself, right? It'd become really frustrating, really annoying. It'd also be probably easy sometimes, but it's also really frustrating. And how would you learn? Anything in nature that doesn't grow dies. So we have to keep learning and we have to keep growing and adapting. The aging process forces us to do that. Um, children will force you to do that. Businesses will force you to do that. We've got to keep growing, right? So an intimate relationship is about two individuals that have enough similar values to connect on, but enough differences to keep things interesting and also to learn from each other. Because the understanding of true love is balance and symmetry. Passion, if you look at the etymology or the history of the word passion, it means to suffer. And people suffer in a passionate relationship because they only see one side of the individual. So if if someone starts dating another person, you're always going to display and demonstrate your best side, right? You're not going to get there and say, you know, I have stomach problems and I get really bad gas at night. That's not like first date material. <laughs> but when you start living with that person, you start to realize that's them, right? And And so you start to see as time goes on, the passion starts to die off because the truth starts to display itself of who the person really is. But then as time goes on, you have to learn how to communicate effectively. You have to learn how to understand another person's value structure and how to love somebody for a different set of values and see how their values help you. You know, if you look at a team in team sport, like if you look at a game of, of let's say professional football, and I'll, I'll use Aussie rules, you have some people who are the centers and just run around the whole the whole area. Now they can't step outside of the boundaries, but they can run around everywhere. Then you have some people who have to stay in a very short area, somewhere in defense, somewhere in offense. But you essentially have a whole team of people who, even though they're they're trying to win the same game, they're playing 
differently. Now, in your life, if you want to build a business, you need a whole bunch of people with different value sets to help create a team of individuals that can excel and succeed. If not, you're always self-employed because you'll do everything yourself because you think you're the best at everything. And the truth is you suck at communication. You suck at understanding others. You suck at leadership. You suck at management. And that's why it's easy to be self-employed, but it's hard to build a successful big business. That lasts, mm-hmm. right? And we get a lot of clients who come to our events for that reason because they're, they're stuck. They want to grow their businesses, but they can't because they get frustrated at other people. They're stressed out all the time. They're angry that people don't just do the shit that they tell them to do, but it's because you've got different values. So coming back to the intimate relationship, your job in an intimate relationship is to try to understand somebody and love somebody else for their their benefits and their drawbacks. The things that used to piss you off, you'll now start to laugh at. My wife is extremely slow at most things, right? So she is very methodical. She's very calm. She's very relaxed. She's just chilled. Whereas me, I'm consistently chaotic, running around a million miles an hour. I've got heaps of shit to do. I work really, really hard and then I almost burn out and I'm like, right, I just need a fucking day to myself. Just leave me alone. And then I'll read and study and learn and do some work on myself. And then off I go again. Whereas she just plods along. She could work for three to four weeks straight and she wouldn't even bust a sweat. I work for five, six days straight and I'm like, starting to get burnt out. But my production is really high in those five, six days, like super high. Um, And so most people in that timeframe I'll outperform, but I also, I can also burn out. So I got to be careful in that. That used to piss me off because she is slow and methodical and the way she does things. Whereas now it's the best thing because if I've got contracts to read or documents to go through, she'll sit there for hours and read documents word for word. She'll manage all of our finances. So I'll go out, build the relationships, make the money. She then structures it all, knows where it all goes, puts it all in and then gives me a report that I can look at in three minutes and go, cool, we're on track or we're off track. So your relationship is essentially a team. So if you want to be a lone wolf and you think that you're the best at everything that you do, that's cool. You're going to enjoy life, but you're never going to have people around you. If you start to understand others and value systems and value structures, you start to see how you link things together and how that helps you to achieve way more in life because now you've got a team working in the same direction versus an individual just doing things by yourself. So in response to your question, um, you need to have a person who has similar values and a similar goal in life and a similar mission. You, I mean, you don't want to have kids and and have someone else who doesn't want to have kids. That's even though your values might align, that's going to push you off track. You want to have someone who has common objectives, but different values. Now you've got a team moving in the same direction. You're probably going to win that game. Mm, I love that team aspect of a relationship is important because you can bring so many strengths to each other and help each other out. And like you said, you're go, go, go then you need moments to relax for like a day and then you can come back where your significant other can just flow through it and keep the calmness and keep that energy flowing. And that's why I see with my relationship too, and it's super important. And for the person who asked the question about purpose, I think they've got their answer by now. <laughs> that was epic. Awesome. Not glad you like it. <laughs> yeah. The next one is um, someone asked, should I work on my strengths or work on my weaknesses? Where's the best place to start? Oh, <laughs> another good question. And I, Look, I just want to say my answers tend to be not black and white. And that's because very few things in life are black and white. Yeah, everyone wants the black and white answer. Um, you know, everyone's looking for the perfect diet. Everyone's looking for the the fast track, the one tip, the... The hack. Yeah, and all that, yeah. although that works in marketing and, and I use that stuff as well um, in, in marketing. It, it's not the real way forward, right? So um, where, with my answers, I'm just giving sort of guidelines that can help you to discover that. Normally when I'm working with someone, I will work with them to figure that stuff out, right? To get it super clear. But that's because I have very tangible, specific answers that I can work with to figure stuff out. Um, so uh, coming back to the question, which was, uh, what was the question again? It was- So someone said, should I work on my strengths or work on my weaknesses? Yeah. So when it comes to strengths and weaknesses, it, it all depends right? Because it depends on your values first. Values come before strengths and weaknesses. So your values dictate how well you're going to perform in anything, right? So I could work on my weaknesses, but if my weaknesses are outside of my values, I could work my whole life and still be shit, right? Whereas if I'm working within my values on my weaknesses, then I get good at those things. 
So an example within my own life is I love learning and teaching. Business is a lower value than than just learning about personal performance, human behavior, all of that. So I love working on business, but I can only put a certain amount of energy into that before I start feeling unfulfilled and stuck. And I've got to go back to connecting with people and then also learning about how it interrelates to human performance and, and all that. So I, I guess... I can I can build a business, but I'm not as good at building businesses as some of my friends who their highest value is business because they are just naturally gifted. They think about business, they breed business. And so there are a lot of people out there who want to make a ton of money, but your values will dictate really how well you're going to do financially. Yeah. Some of my friends you know, made their first million dollars in their 20s and they've just kept going like that. Some people will make money for a short period of time, then their values shift and then they don't really care about making money anymore. Like now they might have a family, and so working hard and all that's not their highest value anymore. Their family's their priority. So their wealth ability or their, their ability to generate wealth might start to deteriorate or drop off. So your values will dictate how much time and energy and effort you want to put into a certain area of life. If you if you go to work and you think, I, I need to get ahead financially, but you're not getting ahead financially, it's probably because money and finances aren't a high value. Now you can put a little bit of energy into that area, but my recommendation is go and figure out what other areas above are unfulfilled so that then you can spend a little bit of time in there and you still feel fulfilled. But even if finances are your weakness, you can get stronger at it, right? So you can get stronger at that. But if you think that you're going to be worth $100 million and you know, you're going to dedicate your life like someone else out there who's making a shitload of money, you're always going to feel miserable because you'll never get to that level. Mm. Does that answer yeah. the question? It's, it 100%. really comes back to your values first. Get go to your values, figure out your values first, and then find your weaknesses within the values and make them strong. Mm. And this is why we will learn, right? So when it comes to exercise, I've got a personal trainer. I hang around a lot of very highly talented people globally who are in that space, and I love learning from them. But will I ever be a Matt Fraser from CrossFit that wins five CrossFit games in a row? No way. Even if I train the same amount, I just wouldn't because I just can't. I, I can't put that same amount of dedication and effort in because my my values won't let me do it. I'll just feel like shit all the time. Mm, like if you stay aligned to yourself, no one could beat you at your own game. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, epic, man. Our next question was, this is more business related, but someone said, when to know to delegate areas of my business? I do everything myself. I want to delegate some of my workload, but I feel like I'm at a point where I can afford the staff member. Um. So this comes down to the mission. What's the mission? So it's not about affording the staff member because very rarely will you afford to expand your business. Um, businesses that are growing normally are cash flow intensive in most cases, unless you're in an industry that is growing very rapidly. Like if you go back e-commerce, like what, 10 years ago, e-com was growing really rapidly. Facebook ads were super cheap. Um, you know, there weren't many people in that industry. You get into it. Industry is starting to expand. Facebook ads are cheap. You go in there, you make shitloads of money. Everything goes sweet. Um, so you could hire heaps of staff and and all that. It's probably not as easy as what it used to be. Back dot com era, same thing happened. So we go through these stages, same as crypto, right? Like, you know, back in the back ten years ago, or even five years ago, you could have bought crypto and you could have been an absolute, you know, nut job when when it comes to money and wealth creation, and you look like you're a genius. Why? Because the market's going in that direction. So outside of that, you essentially, if you want to grow a business, there are certain principles and certain rules that help you to grow a business. Some of the principles are very rarely will you have the cash flow to be able to cash flow growth, right? So it's always going to be tight, but it keeps you smart. So if you have a lot of money sitting in the bank and then you go, you know, what, I'm going to start a business, you'll probably lose all your money and it will create pressure and tension. And then, then you've got to learn principles of business. Because when times are easy, we become very ignorant and we become very complacent. Now, if you're ignorant and complacent in business, you get spanked. So what I, what I have found in working with probably you know a couple of thousand business owners now is that when you want to grow, you'll always sit there and go, shit, do I have the money to, to bring on the next staff member? Don't I? What happens if it doesn't work? But what it does is it helps you to be smarter because you start putting in processes and systems to make sure that they're effective and that they're efficient. Um, and that they're doing the right thing and that they're adding value to the organization. Because if they add value, the business grows. If they don't add value, 
then you spend money on something that that is essentially a waste. And so you end up getting a cash flow constraint, which is painful. That's going to teach you a lesson and wake you up a little bit. So um, really when it comes to hiring a person, the first thing that you've got to, to think about is what is the business that I'm in? What's the business model that I'm that I'm going for? What am I trying to achieve here? What's the long-term mission? Because if you just want to make a lot of money, you're probably better off being self-employed. Um, you know, if you're if you're a self-employed individual, a hundred percent of the profit is yours. A hundred percent of the cash flow essentially is yours. You pay tax, you might have some outgoing costs, but the rest is yours, right? When you've got staff, you make let's say a hundred thousand bucks, but now you've got to pay thirty thousand bucks in tax. You've got to pay GST. You've got insurances. You've got superannuation. You've got like all this shit just starts going out the door, and you look at it and you're like crap, back when I used to work for myself, you know, I could earn 30,000 bucks and 30,000 bucks was essentially mine apart from tax and some other bits and pieces. Yeah. Whereas when you've got a bigger business and you've now started to bring on staff and you've got to pay wages and a whole bunch of other things, the profit margins are a lot less. In most cases, it depends on the business and the business model. Um, but you've got to look at what are you trying to achieve? So we sometimes work with trade-based businesses and they'll say, you know what, I'm better working for myself because it's less stress, less frustration. You know, I can I can scale the business to here and I really don't make that much more, but I've got like way, way more stress. So, you know, you have to figure out what you want. Some tradies come to me and they go, I don't even care if I don't take a wage for the next three years. I want to build a business that's, let's say, a $50 million business that in 10 to 12 years, I'm going to sell to a bigger business and just take a $50 million payday. So it really depends what, what you are trying to achieve in your in your business and what that, that growth looks like. So I know it's not a simple question, but the first thing that I would do is when I hire a staff member, know exactly what they need to produce and don't hire someone for a role. Hire someone specifically to do the work you need done. And no one really taught me this. I lost probably millions hiring staff before I realized how to hire staff. And that really comes down to, I need this shit done. This is the stuff that I'm going to judge you on. And now I'm going to go to the market and find that person who can do that work. Versus mm -hmm. what I used to do is go, do you know what? I need my social media done. I might go and hire a social media manager. Then the social media manager comes in and goes, well, here's all the stuff a social media manager does. And I go, but I don't need all that stuff. I need that plus a couple of other things. And they go, well, yeah, but I don't do that. So then now you've got to go hire another staff member. And so you start ending up with this huge team of people that is quite cash flow intensive and it's not producing as much as what you want because you've hired a role, not the work. So mm -hmm. what I do is I list all the stuff that I need done. Then I put a label on that, on that role and then I go to market and I try and find that person and I ask them questions. How would you complete this task? How would you do this? What does that look like? Because I'm finding, I want to find a specific individual who can do that stuff yeah. versus finding someone who can do the job. That's um, that's important. The way I can summarize that was get clear on your vision, clear on the delegation of what needs to be done. Yep. I think getting rather a business coach or mentor would be an important role of this as well because business, we're not really taught it much in the educational system, especially to the level that a lot of people want to grow their business too. So I think those three pillars are important that you touch them. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do that. There's there's always going to be two ways that humans learn. One of them is through trial and error. And the other one is through learning from other people's mistakes. Yeah. So if you have a coach or you have a mentor, you're probably going to learn from their mistakes. It's going to probably be a shortcut or you're just going to learn by yourself from making mistakes and wasting cash. And I, I, I guess I do both. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I've done both. Same, especially with this podcast, I've definitely learned from others, but a lot of trial and error as well. And I think it's a good combination. Yeah. Our next question then was, it's a bit detailed, but they said, I listened to your episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur, the hard work, the smart work, and I loved it. At moments, I believe I need each aspect of my business, how to know where the fine line is in between the two. <laughs> no idea, man. I'm trying to find it out myself. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I I think, look, throughout life, you're always getting feedback. It's just sometimes we're sensitive to the feedback and other times we're completely ignorant to it. So I don't think there is a fine line. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know what that, what that line is. And 
everyone I've spoken to, whether they be a professional athlete or whether they be a business owner or whether they be a parent, no, no one really gets it right. It's just that there is, there's a consistency of like stacking results. So do people that achieve at a high level make a lot of dumb decisions? And the answer is yes. Hmm. How do they deal with those dumb decisions? They normally just keep going and they make the decision right. So it was uh, Jesse Ziller who said, I don't always make the right decision, but I make every decision right. Which means I stuff up a lot, but I just keep going until I figure it out and we make it work. Whereas what normally happens is for people that don't achieve a lot, they make the wrong decision, then they beat themselves up, they get caught up in their head, they think that there's some shortcut, and then they spend the next month feeling shit about themselves versus someone who's highly successful has already tried another four or five or 10 things, and now they've moved forward three steps. Now, if you compound that over a 10 or 20-year period, they're going to be so much more ahead in life, and everything compounds up bell curves eventually they're, they're going to look like they're super successful and achieved a lot. It's just that they kept going when you just got stuck in your head and you know went around in circles. So I don't really know. There are times where you can pick it up pretty quickly and you go, you know, I need to work smart, not hard. And then there are other times where you're like, I just got to get shit done and grind. Mm -hmm. And I don't know any business owner that doesn't have times where they grind unless they've got a really, really, really awesome team. But they normally have a really awesome team because they stuffed up their team management in the past, right? So yeah, it, it all, I, I don't I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know where that fine line is. Everyone always crosses it. If you speak yeah, to a professional yeah. athlete, they go, you know what? There are times where I just know everything's fine-tuned. And then there are, there are other times where I know I've overtrained and I get burnt out and I haven't rested enough. And, you know, maybe I had changed my diet. Maybe my sleeping patterns were shitty. Like when you think you start to get it in life, all of a sudden you get a curveball and then it's like, I don't get it again. And I got to keep learning. It's just part of a process. Like it's not, it's not a good or a bad thing. And I think humans tend to label, most humans tend to label things as like good or bad and they want the easy path and they want the right way. But it is that there is no real right way. You can learn from other people's mistakes, but you've also got to make a lot of mistakes in order to be, uh, to achieve at a higher level. Yeah. Uh, you just got to keep going. And I think you got to trial a lot as well. Like yeah. with, with my podcast, I was trying to find that fine line myself with what's too many episodes to record in a week and what's too little to still keep me, you know, motivated and keep me going. And then I tried to do six one week and I was like, oh shit, that's too much. And then I did one the next week. I was, and then I was like, I want to communicate with people more. So I found the line of doing three a week is perfect for me. But that came through years of trial and error of trying to figure it out to now where I'm at. I can understand myself a lot more and know how I perform better. Yeah, we did the same. We was, my podcast was seven days a week for the first, I think about three to four months. And then after that, I'd almost curled up into a ball in the corner, like shaking because I was like, I can't do another fucking podcast. I'm not yeah. Done. And um, yeah, I just it was just too much. And so I thought I'll, I'll drop down to five. But you know, then you get some people who are like, oh man, I really like seven. So you start to question yourself and you know, I might even drop it down to three. Eventually, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. It does take up a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. Mm. The, our next question, man. Someone asked, "How can I become a better communicator?" I admire the way you're able to translate thoughts and ideas into words and make them easily digestible. Uh, a few different things. So, uh, my high value is teaching, learning, and coaching. So, it makes understanding human behavior and thinking through things. Um, easier because it's a part of a value construct that I have. Uh, also, I have my second highest value is high value connection. So I, I consistently think about how I'm going to connect with people. Um, my wife is still blown away that if I want to communicate with someone, I'll normally be able to communicate with them. Um, so like I'll come home and, and Jess will say, oh, what happened? And I'm like, oh, I had dinner with a billionaire. And she's like, how the fuck did you do that? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just walked <laughs> up to them and started talking. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I just talk to them. Like, I just, I, I honestly treat people like they're just friends. So, you know, if I want to meet someone, I just go up and talk to them. Like I'm, I'm, I'm friends with them. So I guess for a long, long time, I've just been like that. But what I also do as well is I think about things from their perspective. And when I teach, I tend to try to teach from the audience's perspective, not from what I want to say. So even though I'm trying to get a point across, um, I really try and think about it from who's listening. Now that's hard when you've got an audience and and I've had a lot of coaches over the years go, you know, I want to run these big events. And I go, how many have you run before? And they're like, well, I haven't. I'm 
just starting out and I go, look, work one-on-one first and get really good at one-on-one. Because when you get good at one-on-one, you can do groups. And then when you get good with groups, you can do you can do really well in big audiences. What I find is that people who just go straight to big audiences in most cases are really poor with how they communicate things because you don't get direct feedback. You know, if I say to one of my one-on-one clients, the, you know, here's an idea or a concept and I watch them, they're like, and I'm watching their feedback. I'm okay, hang on, let me explain in more detail. So over time, you develop those skill sets. Also, because I've had, I've had to communicate a lot of these concepts over a decade or two, you get good at using the same metaphors or the same stories or the same examples, and you might just tweak it a little bit for different audiences. So I find it quite easy to do that. It's not like I just hopped on here today and now that you've asked me about purpose and values, it's I'm not sitting here going, oh shit, how do I explain this? It's something that I've had to explain a hundred times before. I've got a bag full of stories that I can use. I've got a, different ideas and different concepts to try to explain to different audiences. So I think you develop it over time, just like anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. a, an NBA basketball that doesn't walk on the court and it's not the first time they've done a layup. They've done it a million times before. They've shot a million three-pointers. That's why they practice. It's the same when you're a communicator. You've just got to practice how you do it. Um, and I'm still learning. Like communication is something I'm always thinking about. And when I say always, I mean most of the time, not legitimately always, because uh, I do think about other things. Um, but I, I think about it. Like I'll go out and I'll talk to my wife about something and I'll watch her and she'll sit there and, and I'll watch her face and, and I'm going, hang on, this hasn't come across. How do I connect an idea or a concept or a thought in a way where she understands it? I used to just get frustrated. I'd sit there and I'm like, how do you not understand this? But it's not her fault. It's my fault because of my inability to explain things effectively. So the more you work with people, the more you communicate with people, especially in a one-on-one situation, the easier it is to explain concepts and ideas because you're getting feedback if you watch them. Mm, I love how you said start with one-on-one and slowly build up because once you're able to connect with one individual you're then able to connect with multiple individuals in the one crowd and make a whole collective. Like when I first started work and I started with one-on-one work, then by the time I started running my mastermind in Brisbane, I had a deeper connection with people because I understood more of human behavior. That's yep. a great way to start. Yeah. And look, I've got it wrong as well. I've had, if I told you some of the stories about some of the people we've had at our events, it would make your hair curl. Like, you know, we've had people who have come in who have been suicidal and I'm like, shit, how do I deal with this? What do, what do I do? Like, they're here for a reason. How do I deal with this? They're, they're going to have triggers. They're going to have things that might set them off. What do I do here? How do I help them? What do, what do I, you know, tell them to go somewhere else? Do I, how do, like, how do I, how do I think through, like, how do I think through this situation? I had a guy who I only found out was a schizophrenic when he told me that the night of we're running a four-day event. So I've got an event that I run called Thrive Time. That event used to go till late at night. It doesn't so much anymore. Um, but he was telling me that the night before he had had, he sat by his door with a kitchen knife waiting for me to walk in the door so that he'd stab me to death. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, okay. And I'm I'm in a hallway with no one. It's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. All my team are in the event, all the people in the event, and I'm out there with this guy. And I'm like, Okay, fuck like this. How do I deal with this situation? So, you know, over time, you learn how to deal with different people in different scenarios. You know how to move different levers in order to explain different concepts and ideas and thoughts, how to coach people through things. Um, But it's also a skill set that I love to do. Some people don't. So it just, it really depends. I've read a lot of books on communication. Um, I'm still learning though. I still get pissed off sometimes. I get frustrated, especially doing sales calls when I know I can help someone, but you know, they have their own blocks and shit in the way and you just get frustrated of saying the same thing 15 times, you know, in 10 or 12 different ways and they still can't understand. And you're like, fuck, I really want to help them, but I can't because they're just not ready. But I also want to. Um, yeah, I'm human. I think all humans are, are trying to learn how to communicate more effectively. Also, you've got a whole world full of people with different values. You know, like Donald Trump gets up and he says something and half of the world goes, you're an idiot. You don't understand. You don't get this shit. You don't understand. That's because he is who he is, right? Like he he's saying a concept. People just don't like him because he's Trump, but people don't like him because of the values that he stands for and he represents. But then someone else gets up who has a different set of values and they speak and, you know, other people say, well, we don't agree. So over time, the better you get at communicating, the more people you have to communicate with, which means that there's also a whole bunch of people who will not like you, don't get you, who are going to blame you, who are just going to hate your face. 
no matter what you say. Mm. Donald Trump could come out and say, you know, I think everyone needs to be kind. And people are like, you're only saying that because you, you know, like, so you, the, you, over time, you just have to start to learn how to communicate effectively. But the more, the more you learn how to communicate effectively, the more people you're going to communicate with because the more of a leader you are, but then the more people are going to judge and criticize you because the more you're dealing with different values, different ideas, different ideals, different belief systems. And so you're always going to be thinking about how do, how could have I communicated better to that audience? Mm. So it's just another area you've got to grow in. And um, repetition is key as well. Like actually putting it into practice communication. And what little trick I did for the people listening for like a, probably about a year straight when I was at, trying to sharpen my eye and be a better communicator for my podcast. What I started to do was at the time I was driving two hours a day. So what I used to do, I used to press record on my phone and my voice um, recorder and just talk for an hour straight and then talk for an hour straight on the way back, listen back to and review it and listen to my own voice, what mistakes I made, how I could have said a certain sentence better, how I could have conducted myself better. And I did that for a long time and I started to see shifts happen in my own communication. I was able to express ideas easier, more easily through listening and also the repetition of doing it. And I found that very helpful for myself too, for that question. Yeah, something else that I've learned with communication is that you'll communicate with an audience that resonates with you. I watch professional speakers talk quite a lot. Some of them I do not like at all because I find they're highly tuned. Like some people who they say the right words and their tonality is perfect and they you know, they use their hands in the right way. For me, I find they're too highly scripted and highly tuned. I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. So I like someone you know, like I love watching Gordon Ramsay because he just flies off the handle. He'll say inappropriate shit. And I'm like, that's my guy. Agreed. And so I like his communication style. But when I find someone who's too structured, too scripted, and they're the perfect corporate speaker, I don't trust them. And I don't think most people do. But for the corporate industry, they are perfectly tuned, right? When, when you listen to politicians, a lot of them are so perfectly tuned in their communication, but no one trusts them because they're just, you know, they're just... I, I I don't like them because they have no backbone. They they don't say stuff. Whereas for me, I I work on my communication, but I work on my communication that I feel like represents what I'm trying to say. And I say shit that's inappropriate. I swear too much. You know, sometimes I go off on tan. Actually, a lot of the time I go off on tangents, but they're the things that make me unique to what I do. Mm-hmm. When I've tried to not be that, my real legitimate audience who love me for me and what I do, they always come to me and say, you seemed off. You seem like you're not like there's something going on. Whereas other people went, oh, we love the way that you communicated that time. But I felt like shit because that's not my original style. So I just learned how to better communicate in the way that I like to communicate. Some people like it. Some people don't. There's always going to be critiques. Like, you That's just gotta, great. Yeah. Yeah, that's great because I'm glad we touched on that point just there because you still got to be yourself. You still got to be unique because like you said, how, how are you going to connect to a community? If you talk like a robot, if you talk like a group of other people that are doing the exact same thing, like you still got to be yourself and show that through the way you communicate. Yep. Hmm. So I'll ask, do you do events Australia-wide or is it mainly SA? No, uh, we do global events. Um, it, it all depends. So we were doing national tours three to four times a year before COVID. Um, so I would, I would go to like 12 different locations every three to six months. Hmm. Big pardon. Um, but when COVID hit, we had to adapt really, really quickly. So I was one of the first people to do online, like online streaming in a proper studio before even a lot of the big guys. We just, I remember getting told that I couldn't run events and I was like, shit, we're going to go broke. And then I thought, you know, I'm a pretty adaptable dude. We'll figure it out. If, you know, I'm going to be the last person in the industry to go broke. So we hired a big studio, put lights in there, set up big TV screens and all that and started uh, live streaming within like a week or two. Um, so we were doing that and live streaming. I I don't mind that, but I just, I would rather do stuff face-to-face. I like connecting with our audience a lot more. Um, also, you get a lot more feedback. Like I find when people sit online, they turn off their cameras, they go get a coffee, they come back. And so they the value exchange isn't as good. And I don't think the results are as good. For some people it is, but for most people it's not. You're better off being in a live event, immersing yourself in it. You're there, you're committed. You're away from other distractions. You know, it's hard to leave the room and to, you know, take a phone call or whatever when you're in a live event. So we've we've gone back to live events just here in Adelaide. Um, we did that because last year, the COVID regulations and laws and shit with hotels was still a bit... Mm. So when we planned out our year, 
We just went, you know, run them all in Adelaide. We still have like the majority of our attendees are interstate. So we get people, we ran an event two weeks ago and I got a seven day one next week. Um, I would say three quarters of the attendees are from Brisbane, uh, Perth, Melbourne. Uh, we get a, we get a few from New South Wales, but it's not a big hotspot for us. Cairns, we get a lot from Cairns, Darwin. Um, but we also get internationals as well. So we get people who fly from New Zealand, um, Singapore, come across to the events. Um, you know, normally when I hear someone say like, do you run any events in Melbourne? And then I go, nah, it's just Adelaide at the moment. They go, oh, I'm like, you're not our clients. Believe me. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't take a one hour fucking plane trip and, and pay 120 bucks or whatever for a cheap airfare. <laughs> to get across to Adelaide to do an event, you're probably not going to want to work with us. Yeah. Because you're not, you, if, if that's too hard, I guarantee trying to achieve stuff in life, you're going to give up on in two minutes. That's it. Because the flight and the Airbnb would be like 400 bucks in total. It's yeah. Like, how committed are you? And if you're smart, you just get into our community group. Like I run, even after you do our events, I still run bonus events or bonus extras for our community. So I just did like a two and a half hour talk on, uh, willpower and all the scientific research and data about how to create better willpower. Um, and so I did that to all the people that have come to our Thrive Time event before. So I still run extra bonus events a couple of times a year specifically for our community to keep them all inspired and, and keep going. Um, so, uh, and they don't pay extra for that. It's just part of it. Um, but like some, some cool stories is like Steph Davies who competed at the Commonwealth Games Prior to doing Thrive Time, she was working a corporate job, didn't know what she wanted to do in life, comes and does Thrive Time, realizes that her love is exercise. So she goes and works at a CrossFit gym. Someone says, your weightlifting looks really, really good. You should train with the, um, uh, the Institute of Sport. So she goes out, starts training with the Institute of Sport. 18 months after doing Thrive Time, she's competing at the Commonwealth Games. Prior to that, she'd never done weightlifting before. Never. So... You know, for her, she she's an amazing individual that I look at and I go, that's someone who is hungry and wants something. But now she lives overseas. So she still flies. She started a business, decided I'm going to go to Mojo's business event. She flies from overseas every 90 days to come to our business events. That's someone who's hungry versus the person who's in Melbourne who's like, oh, do I have to travel? Oh, I can't. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Like accommodation's expensive. Just get in our group and say, does anyone want to share an Airbnb? There's four bedrooms or whatever we can share and fucking hook it up. It'll cost you like 50 bucks a night. Like it's not that hard. So you can see the people that are determined in life versus those who aren't. And, you know, we even had, um, if you go to my YouTube channel, there's a, a woman on there who, um, Karina, she's got a son who's got uh, cerebral palsy, he's quadriplegic. Um, he can't walk, can't talk. And, and she ended up finding out that her, ex-husband who they were together was using drugs and was a heavy meth user and the the bank was about to repossess their home she didn't even know um he had an invoice from his past business and so like they they were owed like a hundred thousand dollars in cash so her whole life was falling apart she came to one of my one day events and went i need a change my life is absolutely fuck like i'm it's ruined like it's ruined i, I there's nothing i can do but i will be at thrive time she said to me, she looked me in the eyes and said, I will sell everything I have to be at that event. She rocked up there, got clear with what she wanted to do in life. And within 12 months, she's got her own house. She's doing a job that she loves. She's able to look after her son. I went to a charity function where they ended up putting together enough money to buy, a, to get a new car for Jake so that he can have his wheelchair and everything in the car. Like her whole life has transformed because she got clear with what she really loved and wanted to do. But I look at people like that and that, that, the commitment that she had to make that day. I will do anything to be at that event. I'll sell everything that I've got and I'll be there versus do I have to travel? You know what I mean? Like yeah, I just literally. get to the point now, I'm just like, you know, you're probably better off not come to my events. Like just fucking stay away from me. Yeah, because you want people there that are committed as well and ready to take that change. And when you're telling me that story about that lady, like it's literally giving me goosebumps because I love hearing about people that go all in on yep. change or all in on personal growth and living the life they truly want that they deserve. And it's just, it's a, it's such an empowering thing seeing people take that step and taking that leap to bear themselves. Yeah. Um, mm. But in answer to the question, I, I travel all around the world. I was supposed to go into a gig in Hawaii this year. Um, you know, I've done a couple in the U S before. Um, yeah. Asia, New Zealand, mm. like 
I, I try, I, if I can get bums on seats anywhere, I will talk. <laughs> so yeah. someone says to me, you know, hey, would you ever come here? And I'm like, 100%, I just need bums on seats. You put them on there, I'll be there. Yeah, I, um, a mentor of mine actually said you did a speaking gig up in Queensland with him years back as the PLCs. His name's Dion Monkovich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was a um, cool thing that somehow the world connects us. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Guy Cohen, who uh, I met Guy on a cruise ship because I did a talk on a cruise ship um, and also in Mexico. So I did a speaking gig with Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. D. Martini, a whole bunch of other crew in Mexico. And then um, I ended up uh, hanging out quite a bit with Guy. In fact, he was my roommate. So um, this the organization that I was doing the speaking gig with put me in a room with Guy. And so we, we walked in. I, I still remember this. I walk into a room in Mexico and he looks, he looks at me and he goes, you look like you're trained. And I said, yep. And he goes, cool. We're going to get along well. Cause he's this little nuggety guy. And, and after that, we've been like almost best mates ever since. So um, yeah, um, he owns a bunch of PLCs. He got me up to do that speaking gig, got involved with um, all the PLC guys and um, yeah, all of that. I still do some of the speaking gigs for some of the groups. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still PLC guys or not, but yeah, a lot of those guys. Mm -hmm. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember to tune in tomorrow for the next part of this four-part series. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate this podcast by clicking the stars on the podcast home screen and follow to get notified for when new episodes drop.